The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad to see you here. So glad to see, especially our high schoolers and middle schoolers down front. Uh, welcome. Yeah, if you have a Bible with you, yes, let's say hi to them. Um, if you've got a Bible with you or you've got your mobile app, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this morning, Matthew chapter 5. As Camille mentioned, we are concluding this week our series that we've called Rethink. We're, we're just acknowledging the reality that in this culture moment, there are a whole lot of people who are rethinking their faith. A whole lot of people who are rethinking what they believe about God, what they believe about Jesus, what they believe about the Bible, what they believe about the church. And this morning, we're talking specifically about rethinking church. Again, recognizing a reality that's happening where many people perhaps aren't walking away from Jesus, but they are in fact walking away from church. As we mentioned the very first week that over the course of the last 25 years, 40 million Americans have walked away from the church. The church in North America today has a massive PR problem. In fact, uh, Barna, the, a group that does uh, surveys across the country, asked uh, a number of respondents to give their favorability rating on several different categories. The, the first one was, was Jesus. What do, what do Americans think about Jesus. And this general survey asking Americans about their um, positive view of Jesus, 71% of Americans had a positive view of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? 71% had a positive view of Jesus. But then it changes when asked about their view of Christianity. From 71% positive view of Jesus to only 57% who, has a, who have a positive view of Christianity. But then they asked a further question. What about churches in your community? From 71% who had a positive view of Jesus to, to 57% who had a positive view of Christianity, only 47% had a positive view of churches in their community. And then they asked, what about evangelicals in particular? From 71% who have a positive view to Jesus, 57 a positive view of Christianity, 47 have a positive view of churches in your community, 26% of Americans has the positive view of evangelicals. And when they specifically look at people of no faith, only 9% have a positive view of evangelicals. That, that word evangelical comes from the biblical word for, for the good news, the gospel, euangelion, that, that evangelicals are supposed to be good news people, and yet we've become associated with all kinds of things other than the good news, such that the church in North America today has a massive PR problem. The church has a problem, and we can't just pretend that the problem is out there, because the reality is some of you in here have experienced deep hurt with the church. That, that many who are not necessarily walking away from Jesus, but are walking away from church, are holding on by a thread, have experienced the disillusionment that comes from religious hypocrisy, from political idolatry, or from the myriad of ways in which 
good Christian people wind up causing pain, division, hurt. And this is a sensitive subject for me to talk about because I know that there are some of you here or some of you who are joining us online who've experienced deep hurt from places like this, from people like us, from people like me. If that describes you this morning, I just wanna say I'm so glad that you're here and that you've given us another chance. Today, we wanna talk about the church, who the church is called to be, what Jesus intended for his church. I, I posed an interesting question to my, uh, my formation group this week just to say, what kind of church would people who have walked away from church cause them to reconsider? Right? What kind of church would it have to be to cause somebody who's walked away from the church to reconsider, to, to say, I could be interested, intrigued by a church like that? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The, the kind of church that Jesus has called us to be that might cause someone who has walked away from the church to reconsider and to say, let's do everything in our power to be that kind of church. So I want to look with you at um, Jesus' words about his community of followers, his community of Christ followers that's here in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You see, when, when Barna asked for word association for what people thought about when they thought about evangelical Christianity, the words that they reached for were words like bigoted, judgmental, hypocritical, anti-homosexual, too political. That's the PR problem that's out there in the world. When Jesus reaches for words, when Jesus plays the word association game with his community of followers, he reaches for two words in particular that, that have so much to say to us about who we're called to be. His two words are salt and light. And this is a very familiar passage to us, but, but this morning I, I hope that we can come to it with fresh eyes and to see in it a fresh message for this cultural moment and one of the things that I think is really important that we recognize here is, is in addition to Jesus giving a vision of what his community of followers are called to be, he also offers a warning because Jesus knew all the ways in which we are prone to go wrong. And so I think we see some warnings here that are very timely for us today. So look with me, if you will, in the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter five. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is speaking to this community of followers that have gathered around him, giving his fundamental teaching on what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to throw out and be trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people put, uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus offers these two images, these two metaphors, salt and light. Now, to really get what's going on here, I want to suggest to you a, a, a different way of translating this text 
to, you, to really see what's happening here, I want to suggest that if you have a, a Bible with you and you have a pen, just to mark out the word you, just scratch right through it, right? And write above it the word y'all, because that's what Jesus says here, right? He doesn't say you individually. He says y'all collectively, and, and English is, is difficult in this regard. Spanish, for example, has two clearly different words, usted and ustedes, right? Singular and plural, but English has the same word, you and you, except in Texas we fix it, right? There's you, and then there's y'all. And Jesus here says, y'all are the salt of the earth. Together, y'all are the salt of the earth. And there's a whole lot of theology packed into that little word, y'all. That on the Christian story, the base of all reality is a relationship. The relationship that has eternally existed between the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That this one God exists in three persons for all eternity, this community of triune love at the base of all reality, so the story goes, is a relationship. And we are made in the image of that God. We are made to be relational beings. We are made for community, to know and to be known, to, to love and to be loved, to embrace and be embraced. We're made for deep connection with other people. And Jesus came to create not just converts, but a community, a community of Christ followers. And he says to them, y'all are salt of the earth. Now, to really get the force of Jesus' metaphor, we have to think about how would the first century hearers have heard this? Because they may have, have heard some, some resonances that don't automatically come to our mind. The, the resonance that automatically comes to our mind when we hear salt is flavor, right? And certainly that would have been the case in the first century world. They would have understood that Jesus is using a metaphor here to talk about this idea that, that they are called to, to flavor the world with hope, peace, joy, and love. And I think it's worth us pausing to just think for a minute. What kind of taste do we leave in people's mouths? Right? How are we flavoring the world around us? Some of you may have heard me talk about the fact that in my house, I do most of the cooking. My wife is a great cook. She just doesn't really enjoy it all that much. I'm not that great a cook, but I really do enjoy it. But the, the downfall when I cook um, almost every time is salt. I just overdo it with the salt because the last thing I want is to present a plate of food to somebody and have it lack flavor. And Jesus uses this metaphor to talk about our calling as his community of Christ followers to flavor the world with joy and peace and hope and love. William Barclay in his commentary on this passage says that people need to discover the lost radiance of the Christian faith in a worried world the Christians should be the only ones who remain serene. In a depressed world, the Christians should be the only ones who remain full of joy and life. He says, there should be a sheer sparkle about the Christian, but too often he dresses like a mourner at a funeral and talks like a specter at a feast. And then here's the punchline, I love this. He says, wherever he is, he's to be the salt of the earth. The Christian must be the diffuser of joy. I love that, the diffuser of joy. Anybody have a, a, a essential oils diffuser in your house? Let me see your hands raised way up high. Yeah, a, a handful of you, thus proving by the rest of us that they're not actually essential, but that's not the point, right? Um, essential oils, sorry, I couldn't resist. 
Uh, right? That you put a few little drops of this oil in the diffuser and it pervades the whole room. And I love that image that we as Christians are to be the diffusers of joy. Jesus was always the life of the party. That we're to be those who, who flavor the world with joy and peace and hope and love. But a second aspect of this metaphor that they would have understood that maybe is less common in our thinking is salt as preservative. That in Jesus' day, salt was the only way to preserve meat. And Jesus is saying, in essence, without your influence, the world is subject to decay, to rot. I think it's important for for us Christians just to be reminded that we shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like the world. We shouldn't be surprised or shocked or scandalized to be upset, to, to have expectation that any more than we should be surprised, shocked, or scandalized by a piece of meat that is prone to decay. But what Jesus says is that we as his disciples are called to play a part in preservation. He says, y'all are called to preserve the world from decay. And it's important, I think, for us to remember that salt can only play this part when it is in close contact with the meat that it's meant to preserve. And that we Christians must be in close contact with people around us, to be in relationship with people who are far from God, to, to play this part of what it means for us to be the salt of the earth. But, but then there's a third resonance, a third layer to this metaphor that I think many of us miss in our day, but that would have been very prevalent in the minds of Jesus' first hearers. And that is healing. Salt played an essential role in healing. One of the primary uses of salt in ancient times was medicinal. We talk about a person rubbing salt in the wound as a way of making things feel worse. But in ancient times, you had to make it feel worse to help it get better. Right? Salt was antiseptic. And Jesus is saying, y'all are called to heal the wounds of this world. That's who we're called to be. Agents of God's healing in this world. But tragically, there are many times where those who are called to be healers become the wounders. The church hurt is a very real and very painful reality. And maybe you've experienced it. Lies that were told about you within your community. That prayer request that got shared as gossip. A sense of personal betrayal. Let down from a a trusted leader, mentor. The abuse of power. The abuse of people. Tragically, in past ministry, other contexts, I served alongside two different men who ended up in prison because they used their position to abuse others. Church hurt is very real and very painful. And the people who are supposed to be part of the healing become part of the wounding. And I want you to know, I want to do everything that is in my power as a pastor of this church for this to be, for us to be a safe place for us to experience healing together. If you're here and you've experienced that pain, I just invite you to be here with us, a part of 
healing here and a part of helping us be a people who bring healing because that's what it means for us to be the salt of the earth. We are called to be agents of God's healing in the world around us. But just as there is here a a calling, an identity, there's also a warning because Jesus knows how we are prone to go wrong. And and so he offers a a warning there where he says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And the answer is it can't. If salt loses its saltiness, and yet what we have to recognize when we talk about salt, sodium chloride is in fact a very stable compound. It it doesn't lose its saltiness. It, It doesn't break down. So what's... Jesus getting at here. I think that to lose its saltiness, the only way that it does so is if it's compromised. If something else gets mixed in with it. And I think this can happen in so many different ways within our communities. Where where other things, where, where outside agendas get mixed in with Christian faith, causing the salt to lose its saltiness. And at the heart of this is just the reality of religious hypocrisy. And so many who have walked away from the church have pointed to hypocrisy within the church as their reason for doing so. Now, it's interesting. This word hypocrite is a word that comes from a compound Greek word that's used in the theater. That in the ancient world, it was a theater word to talk about someone who wore a mask in a play, in a performance. And Jesus may have been the first person to take this word from the world of theater and to talk about the ways in which religious people wear masks, the ways in which religious people pretend. And Jesus detests hypocrisy. We we see it in multiple different places where Jesus calls out the religious leaders of his day for their hypocrisy. Matthew 15, verse 7 through 9. Jesus speaking to the, the religious leaders of the day said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. They talk a good game, but their hearts reflect something very different than their words. This is hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, you get this extensive list of Jesus pronouncing woes on the religious leaders. And in particular, you can see it in verse 23 and 24. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out gnats, but swallow camel. Right, Jesus says, you've gotten so hung up on all the little tiny rule keeping, but you've missed what's most fundamental, justice, mercy, faithfulness. May that never be said of us, and yet tragically it often is that we get so hung up on religious rule keeping, but we miss what's fundamental, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. If you're one who has been turned off to Christianity, turned off to the church because of religious hypocrisy, you should just know that Jesus detests hypocrisy as much as you do. Jesus, when we see him in the Gospels, has no patience for religious hypocrites, but thanks be to God, he has endless mercy for the spiritually needy. 
right? When we mess up, when we, when we go against um, our, our greatest desires and intentions for ourselves, when we go against God's greatest desires and intention for us, Jesus has endless mercy for us when we recognize we are needy, but he has no patience for those who pretend. Salt loses its saltiness when it is compromised. And then Jesus offers another important metaphor, another important image. You are, y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. And again, I think a couple of resonances with this metaphor. When Jesus says y'all are the light of the world, y'all are called to push back the darkness. That's what light does. It, it dispels darkness. And Jesus says your calling is to go into places of darkness and shine your light. Uh, some of you probably know my wife, Kim, works with one of our uh, long-term ministry partners, My Refuge House. My Refuge House provides restorative aftercare for girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking in the Philippines. And one of Kim's big undertakings, actually coming up here in a couple of weeks, called Fashion for Freedom. It's this uh, fashion show runway as an opportunity to raise money to help support the work of My Refuge House. And this is year 10 for Fashion for Freedom. My wife is remarkable. Her superpower is getting other people to exercise their superpower for what she's passionate about. And so she enlists this incredible group of volunteers and puts on an amazing event. She has so deeply dedicated herself to this. But, but the reason that she's given herself to this for the last decade is that about 10 or 11 years ago, she had the opportunity to travel to Southeast Asia and to go into the red light districts in three different major cities in that part of the world and just see the darkness of those places, much of it perpetuated by Western tourists who go and participate in the commercial sexual exploitation of women and children. And there was just something in Kim's heart that says, I can't know about this darkness and not do something about it. But I'll never forget when she came back and she described the darkness of those places, but she walked alongside people who who were there dedicating themselves, giving themselves to minister to the people in those settings. And just to see the light of Christ shine in those darkness of places because the reality is the light shines brightest in the darkest of places. And Jesus calls us to be his people who go into dark places to bring his light. Y'all are the light of the world. The light of the world is called to to be those who push back darkness, but also y'all are called to illumine the path to life. That that we have the capacity to point people to where life is found in Jesus. Light dispels darkness and it illumines our path. Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I think that little word before is actually really suggestive. It it, it points to the idea that, that our light is supposed to be cast in such a way that people can see to see the path to life, to light, uh, let your light shine before others. Um, maybe a story that helps make the point that I'm trying to get at here. Uh, about 10 or 11 years ago, I had a really bad parenting moment, uh, a, a poor decision. We were in Rome. My family had the opportunity to travel together to Rome. And one of our favorite places that we visited was a little place called Piazza Navona. It's this beautiful uh, old plaza, this, this uh, place where in the center is this incredible fountain. And then you know, tourists gathered there and you got a, a bunch of street performers and you got people that are, that are uh, street um, sellers. They're just selling their wares on the street. Well, my boys, who were I think about 10 and seven at the time, saw these uh, laser pointers 
These were like black market laser pointers, right? You couldn't get a laser pointer like this one uh, down at the store. And, uh, and, and they were shining them up. And it was incredible, the, the distance on these things. We were staying at a hotel that was several blocks away from the Coliseum. And we got these laser pointers and we were back at the hotel. And they were literally pointing at the Coliseum. And you could see their laser on the side, of the, like blocks away. Um, now, 10 and 7 what do you think that I found myself saying over and over and over again? Don't shine it in their eyes, right? And there's something suggestive about this metaphor. Let your light shine before people. Don't shine it in their eyes. Tragically, tragically, we can weaponize our light. That We've talked about this, this reality that over the last 25 years, 40 million people have walked away from the church. And during that same period of time, the church's posture towards the rest of the world has largely been one characterized by a posture of culture war. And the culture war, friends, is unmitigated disaster. Jesus has not called us to be culture warriors. The, the, the culture is not to be a battlefield, but to be a mission field. They were called to, to love people. And no wonder they don't like our Jesus. They don't like our message. They don't like our churches. When those we're called to love have been made into our enemies, our adversaries. The culture is not supposed to be a battlefield, but a mission field. They were called to let our light shine before people in such a way as to illumine for them the path to life. Now, just as there is an identity that we're called to here, there's also another warning that Jesus gives. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Right, this, this warning that Jesus gives is the warning towards hiddenness. You see, those of us who are a part of the light, we really kind of like the light, right? That, that when you light a lamp and you put it under a bowl, what gets lit? Everything under the bowl. And we just kind of like to hang out under the bowl, in the light. But the whole idea is that we're to be the light of the world, to, to, to go out into the dark, dark places around us. The only way to actually push back the darkness is to go into places that are dark. The Apostle Peter picks up on this same language from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in his letter later in his life. And he writes to those Christians who are experiencing uh, cultural hostility. And he says, how do you respond when the culture around you is hostile? Well, here's how Peter says to respond. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans. Live such good lives among those who are far from God that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Live such good lives among those who are far from God, not hidden to ourselves, but in the world bringing light into dark places. Now this, friends, is who we're called to be. The salt of the earth, the, the light of the world. That we're to flavor the world with hope and peace and joy and love. That we're to be a part of the preservation of the world from decay. That we're to be agents 
of God's healing in the world around us. That we are to to push back the darkness and illumine the path to life. And I think if we really lived as that kind of church, it would be the kind of church that would cause people who've walked away from the church to reconsider. And if you're here this morning and maybe you have walked away from the church or maybe you've been holding on by a thread, I wanna say I'm glad you're here. But I also wanna say I'm sorry that, uh, that as a pastor, I, I wanna speak on behalf of the church to say I'm sorry for the ways in which you've experienced pain, you've experienced hurt, you've experienced hypocrisy. It's not supposed to be this way. Jesus has called his people to be something different. But we who are supposed to be agents of healing sometimes become the agents of the wounding, and I'm sorry. But I wanna invite you to come and be a part of this place. Experience healing here and help us bring healing to other people. Help us be better. This is our deep desire is to continue to be better, to live out God's calling on us as a church. And for those of you who are, who are here and you say, Barry, I'm in, I, I wanna just challenge you, I wanna invite you, be all in. D- d- dedicate yourself to this place, to this community of Christ followers, to be this kind of church, to be a church that, that lives out the call to be salt and light, to flavor the world with hope and peace and joy and love, to be the kind of church that it has a preservative function in the community around us, to be the kind of church that are agents of God's healing in the world, to be the kind of church that goes into the darkness, dispels the darkness, and illumines the path to life. May we at Irving Bible Church be that kind of church. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord. Father, this is our deep desire. We are flawed and frail in all kinds of ways. And yet this is our deep desire to be the people that you've called us to be as we follow after Jesus. And I pray that in our midst, you might work healing today, that you might um, prompt forgiveness today, that you would um, bring comfort today that in these moments of response that your spirit would move in our midst, evoking from each of us the the response today that is fitting to you. And God, we recognize that, uh, that we are here together despite all our differences. We don't come together because we have uh, a common background, common education, common uh, language, common accents, common cultures, common jobs, we come together because of a common allegiance to and affection for Jesus. We find our unity together in him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we pray all of this in his name, the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org slash new.